never asked, is it divine or divine? It's divine. But spelled with an E. Yeah. But it's divine. My great uncle is an old Western actor named Andy Divine, who was a big. He was. I don't know who he is, but that's so cool. Yeah. He was the voice of Friar Tuck in the Disney movie of Robin Hood. And he had his own show, Andy's Gang. And he was in 400 films. He was in Stagecoach. In his day, he was huge. He was the first star to ever have an endorsement on a Wheaties box, even though he weighed 400 pounds. Okay, Which I find hilarious. I, I'm gonna say something that's pretty controversial. I'm and ready. Pretty, like <laughs> they're like, oh wow, what's wrong with Alessandra? Like she has nothing on a lot of the scandal. Um, I was so in love with Robin Hood. <laughs> the, fox. the fox was hot. I'm not gonna lie, and Miss Mary okay, and the Lady Fox. Okay. Yeah, like the whole thing was. Foxy. I was in a full blown relationship <laughs> with Robin Hood. The Fox, the cartoon in my head. You're like, he gets me. Years. <laughs> he got me. He was gorgeous. He was like, they really so did fabulous. make him gorgeous. Like they made a really hot looking fox. Like they, I don't feel like, you know, they do that with princesses, but I don't think they've done that with any other animal character. What the does same that say way. about us? I, I don't know. We're, we're disturbed people. <laughs> I have no Wait, idea. do you have any really cool, like, like, um, movie cells and stuff like that from, from Robin Hood from him? My cousins do. My cousins do. <gasps> they have all of it. Yeah. I have like a oh whole, and, and there's stuff of his in the, um, in the, what's the Western Museum? The, in Burbank. The uh, Gene Autry? Yes. Gene Autry Museum. We, he's got stuff in there. Yeah. It's oh a whole my thing. gosh. It's a whole thing. Horses Do you know movies. any of the like cool like behind the scenes of how they used to make the towns in the old western towns really short so the guys looked really big and tall? <laughs> like all of these fun facts that I you know where I learned these? At the Universal Studios backlot tour. <laughs> don't say you don't learn anything from a ride. <laughs> um, other other fun fact, my great grandfather um, actually worked on John Ford films, and he is the reason that horse stunts have are entirely different now. So my great grandfather was half Cherokee Indian, and he was brought out here by Will Rogers, and so because he was considered, he won the best horseman of the West Coast, and he was like, you know, if you come out to Hollywood, we need good horsemen like you for all these westerns. Well, John Ford, what they used to do is take um, big uh, herds of horses and run them with trip wires, so when there were stampedes and stuff. But what happens is the horses would break their legs, and then they'd just shoot them, put them down. Put them down. So my great-grandfather, being Cherokee Indian, was like, listen, horses carry the spirits of my people to heaven. I mean, that's how you get to God is on on the back of a horse. So we absolutely do not kill horses. Let me show you. I can train them to fall. Well, my Uncle Newt at the time was an old silent film Western film star. He was like the Justin Timberlake of silent films. He was a teenage heartthrob. And so for John Ford, they went out and he had his horse Marky and he, I'm, I know I wasn't there for this, obviously. It wasn't even a twinkle in it. My mom wasn't even born yet. Um, but like, he, basically what he did is he had my Uncle Newt ride out, gallop out and, you know, he'd yell bang and he'd have the horse rear and fall. And so he goes, can you teach all your horses to do this? And he's like, I can teach every one of them to fall on command. And so they did it again just to see if he could prove it two, three, four times. It changed all of the way Hollywood used horses from that point forward. I mean, that is such a wild story of your background. Oh, girl, I got old Hollywood stories for days. My whole family, my my grandma was, um, you know, what's her name's uh, uh, Shirley Temple's stand in my aunt no. was marino harris stand in for 30 years. Temple yeah. <laughs> yeah i really did well because i was a dancer right so right. like 
the good ship lollipop was not that far all day long. If I showed you pictures of me, my mother used to make me sleep with pink curlers in my hair oh every my single gosh, night. Yes. So I had, and I had little a short ringlets. bob to begin with. So I had these like little curly cues. I, it, it's a lot of luck. It was a lot of luck, but it was like perfect for the dance competition. Totally. But wait, and your other grandma, you said what? My aunt Lucille was Maureen O'Hara's best friend and stand in for 30 years. So like I had dinner parties. Maureen O'Hara would come to my grandma's house at, for birthday parties. Like when I was all through oh. my childhood. Yeah, um, John Wayne, family friend, my great, all my great aunts, uncles, grandparents, everybody, they they rode and trained all of Walt Disney's horses. They provided all the horses for Westerns. Their barn was one of the first built in the Burbank Glendale area. And what they did is they they left Oklahoma on a train bound for for Hollywood with six horses in a train car and their kids and their furniture landed bound at for the, dreams. Yeah, landed at the downtown uh, L.A. state train station. And <gasps> moved their horses, like drove them and rode them to like a, a yeah. one-off hotel where they could stay overnight. Found a piece of land on the Burbank-Glendale border, right where the, the LA Equestrian, Equestrian Center. Center, that's where it is. It's right next door. It was the original barn that is still there. That's my family's. And they kept all their horses and they would drive them over the Griffith Park Mountains into Paramount for all of... So every day, my great-grandfather would get up and drive a herd of horses onto set <gasps> and back. But then they had oh, six kids. Gosh. So their six kids were also all the stuntmen and women for all of the Westerns. So is the barn still actively mm-hmm. there? Yeah, now it's called Whispering there. Willow. My family no longer owns it. They sold it before I was born. And we tried to buy it back. But the great-grands had passed on. And the six kids were fighting yeah. over money. And so blah, 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 yeah. blah. But it's that still physically there. Yeah, the house that my <gasps> great-grandparents built, the barns, everything. Do you okay now? This just opened up the interview <laughs> to be so much, um, like it, on another level. I have so many ideas and so many thoughts. <laughs> First and foremost, okay, you are just a fantastic singer, artist, creator, actress, um, overall, just a wonderful person. You have a fantastic podcast that I literally was just on an hour <laughs> ago, so this is so fun. We are like, I know we're having a swappy, goose. swappy day, it's so fun. We're loose as a goose, having a great time, just trying to get some laughs in this sad quarantine time. Yeah. Now I have this whole, um, like, a, a fun fact about your whole family. <laughs> and while this is about mental health, two things that already have just like, boom, popped in my head. The first being, do you feel any connection to your Native American heritage? 110 billion percent more than you could ever imagine. Is that um, kind of why you went back to Arizona? Well, so that's what's funny is Andy Devine, my great uncle, the one who plays Friar Tuck at The Voice, he's originally from Kingman, Arizona, which is just uh, an hour and a half from where we are. And there's actually Andy Devine Drive at the airport. And they have, they used to have, I think they just stopped doing so them, but cool. they had Andy Devine days, which were like rodeo pageants and everything. Um, so coming back here is comical because I have family roots here. Even though I personally am like fifth generation L.A. native. Right. So, right. right. Um, it's both. I do have a very, very deep tie to Native American culture. I, I don't have an explanation for that other than I literally was basically born in a barn. I also feel like my spirit will go to heaven on the back of a horse. Um, I oh always say goodness. that horses are my church. Like that's the place I go to feel the closest to God. Um, Did you ride yeah. when you were younger? I, my mom rode up until her ninth month of pregnancy. 
I also I'm rode. Obsessed. I rode eight to eight and a half months of pregnancy with my own son. Um, I had my I first it. pony at three, um, but <gasps> given to us by an you Indi- had a real life pony. Given you to us by a Native American, dream. Native American Indian. He said, "Your grandmother, who I was named after, Candace, my great grandmother. He goes, your great grandmother was the only woman who would give me work and employ me when I was a young man because he was Native American and there was a lot of bias." Of to brown and colored people of any kind. Sure. And my grandmother had obviously married a Native American, although she was Canadian. I have the letters from when she wrote my Native American great-grandmother saying, I'm in love with your son, but I don't know if I can marry an Indian. And my great-great-grandmother wrote her back. I have all the handwritten letters saying, it would be your honor to be mixed with Cherokee blood. We are the finest blood in the world. Like, it's great. It's like she threw down. Yeah. Um, so my grandmother obviously was not funny story. Uh, well, my great, great grandparents, um, had a massive cattle ranch in Oklahoma, massive, like 8,000 acres insane. Um, and their son. So my great, great grandmother, full-blooded Cherokee Indian from the tribe. She married some very Anglo white guy. Um, and they had their kids. Their son is my great grandfather, half Native mm-hmm. American. They had this massive cattle ranch. My great grandmother, Candace, was first generation Canadian from Ireland. Wow. First generation mm-hmm. Canadian. She got a college degree at 17, which was unheard wow. of. And she got on a train and decided to go stay with an aunt and uncle to teach preschool in Oklahoma which was unheard of because... So basically it was just fate. And they saw each other and she was like, who is that tall strapping, tall drink of water? And she was this crystal blue-eyed little Canadian woman who loved music and played music and was literate and college educated. And um, Is that where you get your, your music from? I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I think it comes on both sides. My dad's side of the family are Hungarian Jews and I think they were very musical as well. Um, but no one in my yeah. immediate family sings. But I do think in my external lineage, a lot of music was yeah. had. Yeah, and it's born in you. Wow, I love that you feel so connected to your Native American heritage. I feel like I I, I have no Native American blood in me, even though <laughs> I wish that I did. Um, and I wish that I was part of the horse uh, world. I went to go, uh, my husband and I went to visit his family in Wyoming. They have, I had told you before, they have a ranch there. And we were there when the state farm was in town. Yeah. No, state farm, state fair. Fair, state yeah. Fair, <laughs> state fair. See, I got, see, not that hip with the horses. I'm it's trying. Okay. And they were showing the horses, they were showing goats, they were showing cows. Mm-hmm. And it was all these young kids that were in full, like Canadian denim, you know, mm-hmm. like tuxedos, looking chic big bows in their hair. And I was like, okay, I just missed out on my entire childhood. What do you mean (laughs) that I didn't have a horse with me, that I didn't have a goat that I was like trucking around. And I was like, this is my dream life. Like this is, and I felt such a connection. It's so natural, right? It feels so natural. To animals feels so natural to animals and you know I'm someone that can't stand bugs and not that I can't stand them like I'm scared shitless of them like always like even butterflies I hate butterflies like they're scary they're unpredictable they're unpredictable (laughs) they fly anywhere I don't know where they're gonna go are they gonna are they gonna go on your face like what what unpredictable can't stand it um but I always have such a passion for 
creatures and for animals. And I find, you know, I always say with my two dogs, they are my emotional support animals. But I find that that horses specifically for people that have that connection to horses, it's such a magical connection and it's such a soothing therapeutic thing. It and is. I, I have um, I have family that are uh, who have the little kids are are severely autistic mm -hmm. um, and they go to horse therapy. Mm -hmm. And I just I'm blown away by seeing what the horse therapy does for these kids. Um, I'm sure adults as well, but I'm not familiar with the adult side of it, but I can yeah. speak for the kids of what it does to bring out this, this um, hidden, hidden, um, whatever you want to call it. Capabilities of bonding. Yeah. Yeah. All of these, yes. all and, the things I will say too. Um, I've been involved on a number of different levels. Horses really are inc incredible creatures. I have all the respect in the world for people who are afraid of them, and I'm glad they're afraid of them because I would so much rather people approach cautiously to learn than to just right. assume with a large animal. That being said, um, so much great work has been done with horses. Um, war vets with PTSD. Out where we live, there's a couple big ranches where, that specialize in just allowing – Horses that have had PTSD, I mean, horses wow. that have been in accidents or hit by cars or, you know, and they pair these broken spirits together. And um, there's a lot of trust that needs to happen. I always tell people that, in my opinion, horses are both the dumbest and the smartest animals on earth because they had no reason to let humans ride them. They, they have no reason to have, and especially once the car came in, their virtual purpose of transportation was taken off the planet. Right. But there is no accounting for the amount of spirit connection that humans do have, much like with dogs, if, if especially whether you're raised with it or if you have a calling to it or even an openness. Horses, you know, are herd bound animals that have that flight instinct. And when they find a level of trust with a human, there's really nothing like it. I have I could go on. It's there's way too many for this podcast, but I could go on for days of individual personal stories family stories, friend stories, where horses and, and human connection have been a savior to mm -hmm. many, many obstacles. And it's just because their willingness to trust us as humans to allow another animal to get on their back. We throw a dead animal on their back with a saddle. We take old cowhide. We, I mean, the things that we do to them, although they make sense in their practicality, the fact that they allow us to do it is shocking. Right. The fact that we have right. mounted police and you can shoot guns off of a horse. The fact that you can take a horse off a side of a mountain and it'll figure it out. The fact that you can be me and take a horse down to a four foot fence and say, jump over it. It's a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, right. you know, it's, it's incredible what they're willing to let us teammate them in, you know? Um, but I will say crazy. what's so incredible about horses is that, you know, I've been around people who are afraid of horses and they don't know how to handle it. Right. And the horse can sense it. Mm -hmm. right? And they're like super skittish to it. And they're like, uh, uh, you have to earn my trust. It's yeah. not like a dog where a dog will just go up to anyone and like suck on a face. You know right. what I mean? And I don't <laughs> right. know if that's every dog. I just know that that's right. my Frenchie and she will literally go up to anyone and everyone and, and just, just start making yeah. out like, Totally. She's she like, is. give it to me. Give me your nostrils. Give me your mouth. Give me your ear holes. Give I want to be all over you. Everything. <laughs> I like fully want to be immersed in your saliva. But um, yeah, but horses, you have to really earn 
their respect and earn their trust and earn their love. And it's like a gradual thing. And that's why, you know, you can't just like go and pop on a, on a horse no, and like and go please and take don't. it for a please ride. Don't, like the, the accidents are not worth it. Um, and we've seen that in, in public displays and this is me not putting them down, down personally as a, as a people or a family, but like when Christopher Reeves was riding, right. Um, and right. he had that horrific accident that made him a quadriplegic. Was he an accomplished horseman? Yes, enough. Should he have been jumping the things he was jumping? Probably not. You know, right. the, the, it's a sport of kings in many different areas. And oftentimes money can buy you what's supposed to be this well-trained horse that will pack you around anything you want to do. And and that is very true. But it's still a, an animal. And it still, still has animal. its own mind. Animal. It has its own mind. And what you may think it's supposed to do may not be what it thinks it's supposed to do. Right. And so there's a right. lot of danger that can be had. I do want to tell you two really quick anecdotes just to, to bookend this particular subject. Yeah. When I was pregnant, my mare, my she's my – I call her my soulmate in a horse. I mean, she we're just – she – knew every single day from the time I, I was riding her when I actually kind of found out I was pregnant. Um, I would come to the stall and she would automatically, this horse would always nuzzle my face and my ears and my mouth and we blow in each other's noses and stuff. She would put her head down and smell up and down and nuzzle my stomach from the time oh my gosh. and all the way, every day to the time I gave birth. Um, and she was 110% different in her sensibility when I was riding when I was pregnant versus when I rode her all the years before. Right. So right. I, you know, I had shown her and she's, we have the same mind. We think the same way. We're both really ballsy about certain things and super cautious about other things. And when I started riding her when I was pregnant, she just always kept this like evenness, this cadence. Mm -hmm. She never got hot. And she a never calmness. got quick. A calm, always. And right. she always, like her reactions to things were far more dialed down out of my safety. And I knew it. Like, she was like, right, you can't get right. hurt right now, you know? Right. Um, after I had my son, I put him on me with the baby Bjorn. I do not recommend this at home. Please don't try this at home. <laughs> I am not condoning this behavior. I just know my horse well enough, and I know me well enough, and I yeah, have a yeah. lifetime of riding history. Right. But, I, you know, from the time he was born, I put him in the baby Bjorn, and I'd go for a ride, and we'd just walk and it would he, it would soothe him because I rode through my whole pregnancy. And same thing, wow. if I walked out there and I had that baby attached to me, her demeanor was night and day of the competitive horse that I showed. Just she isn't knew. That just, isn't that just unbelievable that they know? Yeah. Flash forward to I had tried to breed her because she was getting older mm -hmm. and getting closer to retirement, and I was going to breed her. And she went a month overdue and had a um, her baby was in the wrong position and died <gasps> oh, inside no. the womb which was the worst day of my life, hands down. But this same mare let me go in the stall. I had my arms up to my shoulder into her cavity trying to pull out this baby in her stall. And she just kept trying to like lick and like fix me, fix me. I hurt. And other people would walk in the stall and she wanted nothing to do with them. I'd walk in the stall and she would just turn like save me from this. And we ultimately had to load her in the trailer and get her to the vet in an emergency because we knew the baby had expired and it was horrific and it was the worst night of my life and we had to get the dead baby out because you can't you, you can't yeah. do that yeah. and yeah. so the vet literally had to put on like this whole metal harness with chains and go in and wrap the baby in chains and you know pull out the dead <gasps> baby and what happened was my horse fainted upon pulling out the baby 
hit her head on every rung down the stall and passed out on the floor to which I, this is what I mean, like soul connection stuff. Like I dove on that floor and had her head in my arms and just like, I'm like, you can't be dead right now. Like this, like like, you can't do it. Can't do it. Um, and she literally opened her eyes and looked at me and I said, you know, beauty, we got to try to get you up. But she was stuck in what's called a stock stall. It's a big steel frame stall to hold horses in these horrific situations so they don't kick and they don't spin and they don't, you yeah, know, it's like a right, it's cage right. kind of. Um, and she was stuck with a leg around every post. And so the vet had said to me, Candace, if we can't get her out of here, like we're not out of the woods. If she breaks her leg trying to get out, we have to put her down. We may have to put her down if we can't get the, you know, afterbirth out. We may have to, like, he's like, prepare yourself to euthanize her. And I was like, this is my spirit animal, my soul animal, my therapeutic animal. This is my highway to God right here. And um, I looked at her because we know each other so well. And I was like, beauty, are you hungry? Are you hungry? You haven't eaten in like a day and a half. Like you've got to be hungry. And so I went and grabbed a flake of hay and I put it by her nose and I stood back and I said, baby girl, you got to try. You've got to work this out for me. You've got to figure it out. That mare tucked all four legs up into like her chest, spun around on her back matrix style, wiggled her way out from under the bars. No. Flipped over, jumped up and trotted right over to me and ate the hay. And then put her head in my lap. And I. That is a woman of my own heart that she will get up when the worst is happening for some food. <laughs> I know. Well, and that's why I say this is the bond we have. Like, she knows me, I know her. For like, we're food. good. <laughs> but, but all that to be oh said, she gosh. fought. She fought because of our bond. I fought because of our bond. Right, Do you know what right. I mean? We both were like, right. today is not the day. And no. it has since caused a whole number of other kind of medical issues for her, but through thick and thin, like she, it's me and her against the world. So yeah, those bonds are, those bonds are deep. They run really, really deep for sure. So what I, so we getting back into the conversation about your native American heritage. One thing I always find that I ask all of my guests in regards to, you know, I'm, I'm in quote unquote Italian. That is what I am. And yeah. I found out I'm Greek recently through my 20s. Hey, Opa. Opa, <laughs> no big deal. I have a, I have a little Jewish in me. I'm just all sorts of fun, that you know, girl. and I'm actually, what's crazy is I'm more by blood English and Greek than I am Italian, but like, I don't want to say that. But Torsani is a very Italian, both your names, Alessandra yes. too. And, Yes. And the, the, my family is from Northern Italy in Trentino. So they, they could, they're very light. So they could have come in and, yeah. and not necessarily been in quote unquote Italian. Well, in the they, Greek Mediterranean, that all like, you know, those same. people all crossbred. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and my great grandpa was adopted. So we never knew what he was. We always thought maybe he was mm. Polish or Italian. And then that's where the Greek comes from. So it's so funny. It's just so wild. But I always ask all of my guests who are are very big in their culture or are from Mexico or from the UK mm. or from India. I interviewed a woman from South Africa yesterday. And I know that you're not immersed in the Native American culture. And maybe you won't know this answer, but do you know anything with mental health and emotional wellness with Native American culture? Because I know that they just are, are all about, um, uh, what, what is it called? Like, uh, when you do something, oh my God, 
this I sound so dumb right now. <laughs> Traditions. Oh my God, Candace, what is going on with me? Tradi- Listen, girl, so blame it on the planets. I think you're brilliant. Um, blame it on the planets, but traditions and spirituality, right? And you know, we are one with the earth. Yeah. All this stuff. Do, is did you ever know any more about that or anything interesting like that? So I have an answer to that question, but I don't know that it's a direct answer to heritage. So I have a lot okay. yet to still learn about my own heritage. I'm a fast. I'm fascinated by history. I am fascinated by bloodlines. I am fascinated by heritage. So I casually dive in often. Um, what I do know about um, the mental capacity from the Native American side of my family, what I can tell you is based on the people that I know of closer to to the truest form of that heritage. I know that within my family, um, a lot of the mental mental strength that has come from those forefathers and, and from my ancestors that were often involved with horses in the movies and different things like that, the mental strength that they had, I do know was deeply rooted in tradition of, um, of uh, cultural, you know, um, traditions of American history, American Indian native culture. I do know that my great grandfather carried, you know, he was not a religious man, but he was a spiritual man. I do know that he used a lot of, he was a troubled man. There was a lot of, in the turn of the century and a lot of that going on and a lot of prejudice and a lot of not love for the American Indians and for the native tribal Mm -hmm. culture. There's a lot weighted and rooted in a lot of that animal spirit um, that we were just talking about. There's a lot of right, faith right. in in being around nature. There's a lot of going out to under a tree to meditate or pray. There's a lot mm-hmm. of go out into the mountains and seek. So I do know that I carry that flame. I find most of my clarity for emotional well-being, for mental well-being, for spiritual strength in mm-hmm. nature. And I do attribute a lot of that to my genealogy. I don't know enough about the cultural traditions to tell you, oh, yes, like we we do a powwow when you're, yeah, when you, you know, I I would love to bring it to the table if you're open to it because it does tie in in this regard. I recently, very recently, like last week, went through an ectopic pregnancy and I've never had uh, a mental health scenario. What does that mean? I'm so glad you asked. I, the reason why I want to bring it to the table is because I think it's one of those things, much like we, how people don't commonize, make common these discussions. Basically, unbeknownst to me, I got pregnant <laughs> with my husband, but in the wrong place. So When? Last week. Well, I mean, it would have been two or three weeks ago now, but what happened was the egg was fertilized in my fallopian tube instead of in my uterus. So wow. this is life-threatening because your, ut- your fallopian tube is only so big and a fetus grows exponentially it regenerates cells daily hourly minutely and it's growing well no baby can be born in a fallopian tube and they can't move the embryo so if your fallopian tube it's okay but what i want to talk about is the mental well-being of it because i'd never experienced anything like this and i think it's something that your listeners i think it's way more common than people know and I, I'm sure you are going to have a lot of people that write you after this. Maybe. I, it's something that I'm literally so fresh off of that it's still on my mind, right? But right. what happened is that if your fallopian tube ruptures, you could bleed out and die from the inside, basically. So 
there's no good. So my, I went to my doctor. I had had crippling, crippling pain, like fetalized on a ball in the floor. Can't walk, can't breathe, can't move, crippling pain. And so I called my doctor and I was like, something is not right. You know, and so they're like, oh, we'll make an appointment. And in my mind, I'm thinking fibrosis. I'm thinking right. female problems. You know, my body's Who changing. Knows? Irregular period, whatever. I go to the doctor. I get a checkup. I'm telling him my mom had fibroids, all this other stuff. And he's like, Are, have you had taken a pregnancy test? The nurse had asked me that on the phone. And I said, well, no, I got my period or what I thought was my period. And I, it was just spotting and, and never, for the women listening, it never kicked into a period. It was just this like right. ongoing spotting of weirdness and all this intense pain. So she goes, I need you to go pick up a pregnancy test right away. And I peed on a stick and it was negative. So I was like, I'm not pregnant, lady. So back to my yeah. theory of fibrosis. Yeah. Thanks, honey. I'm glad you, listen, doctor. Yeah, not that really I went to medical really school. On. Yeah, not that I went to medical school. I'm just a singer. But let me tell you, you know, so. Yeah. We, uh, she goes, I need you to come in today. I'm going to clear the afternoon schedule. You need to come in now. So the doctor checks me out. He goes, you don't have one polyp or fibroid. I would need you to pee in a cup. Instantaneously, you're pregnant. And I was like, oh my gosh. Which, by the way, not trying, not, you no. know, working toward this goal. No, 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 no. My She's husband like, and I were oh, always open. Yeah, we were always open. Like, hey, if, if that were to magically happen cool we'll roll with it but right. like in no way trying to shape our lives around bringing a life into the world so the doctor's like well everything's close you know it's the end of the afternoon we just squeezed you and i need you to come back top of the morning we need to do an ultrasound now so we did we i went in and they figured out i was roughly six seven weeks pre five, between five and seven weeks pregnant they were estimating around six going on seven something like that <gasps> they put on ultrasound can't find baby so they have to do a vaginal ultrasound to find baby in my fallopian tube. Now they go, fortunately, it's just low enough that there was just enough room that he goes, instead of rushing you into immediate surgery right now, I'm going to send you to the hospital and you're going to get two doses of chemotherapy, which are going to now kill all your insides and induce a miscarriage. So oh my and you're doing this podcast right now with me yeah <laughs> well no but here's the part i want to get to which is fascinating this is what's fascinating about the human body this is what has given my mind a whole different appreciation for mental health because i am one of those people very fortunately that i can say i'm even steven i am a very level person not much if i get angry it's a two-day turnaround, I can shake right. it, you know what I mean? Like, I can very wholeheartedly tell you that I'm a very level person. You can come at me yeah, with whatever, right. I can handle it. I'm not somebody who seeks, you know, altercation, but I can stand up to it. If somebody wants to come at me, I can defend myself. Other than that, right. I'm pretty much a peacekeeper. I can communicate very easily. We're good. Level, even Steven. I go in. After this doctor's appointment, I get rushed to the hospital. P.S. My body, thinking that I'm pregnant, immediately goes into morning sickness. I vomited like a thousand times oh between gosh. the doctor visit and getting to the hospital. So I became highly <gasps> dehydrated, kicked in a migraine headache. Like I've never, I'm not a migraine person. I've never had right, a migraine, right. but like the most intensive dehydrated headache I've ever experienced in my life. Get two shots of chemo in my ass drive home vomiting the whole way and then you have to sit at home and wait for a miscarriage you have to wait oh my lordy christ so 
you're feeling pretty okay. You know, I remember uh, texting coworkers of mine for the podcast and different things being like, I may not be on my A game for a couple days. <laughs> not thinking anything about hormone imbalance, chemical right. imbalance, mm-hmm. the, the trauma, the trauma of not knowing you were pregnant, finding out you were pregnant, planning your life around now being pregnant only to find out you can't have this baby that you didn't know you were going to have to now you have to shed out your insides by the way, because you've been injected with two doses of chemotherapy. Every time you go to the bathroom or sweat or do any, like you have to flush twice and wipe down your toilet and your bathroom with sterile wipes because you are excreting chemo (gasps) drugs. So like if your husband uses the same shitter or your dogs drink out of the toilet or your kid go like you have to sterilize everything every time every you time. go to the toilet. <gasps> same thing, you know, as you sweat in your sleep, you got to wash those right. sheets. You can't be, you know, putting everybody else into your chemotherapy centric, chemocentric right, right, right. <laughs> world space. All of that I, I handled fairly levelly. Level. Is that a word? That's not a word. Yeah. It's a word yeah. now. We're making it a word. We're making levelly. Um yeah. Second day, that was that day. The next day, pretty okay. I was like, I'm tired. I'm run down. Third day, the day that the miscarriage set on. And I would love to talk to you about this because I'm curious to know from, from a standpoint of somebody with the bipolar disorder to right. have manic ups and lows and feel that burnt, that sensation of not having any control that I've heard you talk about of yeah. that onset. That morning, my husband said to me, he had had plans to go snowboarding with friends. And he's like, I'm ready to cancel. You know, I'm going to be home with you. And I said to him, still blind as a bat to what was coming. It's like, what are you going to do? Sit here and look at me while I just wait to bleed out tissue? Like, go, go. I'm in a, I'm, I'm hanging. I'm fine. He leaves. Alessandra, I have never experienced, I went full Pitch black room, undercover, sobbing for hours. You would have <gasps> thought someone murdered my child in front of me, my the right. existing child, the one that I have right. reared and raised that I love. Right. Uncontrollable devastation and depression. Uncontrollable ability to even talk through what was happening while bleeding out chunks of tissue everywhere while sterilizing your bathroom every time, while not being able to eat, not being able to drink or keep food down, all of it. And I'd never known the experience of having your frontal brain be your common sense logic going, this thing is the size of a tadpole. It has no brain yet. It has no fingernails. It has no eyes you're just passing an egg that didn't work, right? Like mm-hmm. that, my brain was going, this is any other month. My emotional state was like someone murdered my child in front of me. I could not rationalize it. I could not fix it. I could not take myself out of it. I could not get up. I could not sit down. I could not, every time I got up to go get something to drink or eat, I was so exhausted and so weak and so tired. I'd get right back in bed, pull the covers over my head and start sobbing in the dark. I mean, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever had in my life. Did the emotion of the overwhelmingness of the, the sadness, especially the depression of the hysterical crying and, and, and 
that doom because it's almost like your mind went to a doomsday scenario right like you, where you're like this oh yeah is the worst like you envision things you picture it you can feel it you it's it's your mind plays so many tricks on you because your logical side right it's like this isn't a human yet so so i shouldn't be upset and and why would i want to have this happen where this child first of all could right not, and you can't have this it, it can't happen and also i'm a believer much to my this is where this ties into my native american roots i for me like spirituality and god is very much wrapped up in nature Mm -hmm. I do think nature takes care of itself in a number of ways. There yes. is a very good chance that baby could have been something I wasn't capable of taking care of. Right. There's a very good chance it could have been, you know, uh, uh, a baby that would have physical disabilities that I wouldn't have been capable of taking care of. Right. I'm very right. clear on my patience level, on how I operate my day-to-days. And in, in a degree you know, there's a part of me that feels like it was God's grace in a sense. Like right. maybe nature took care of, of me not being the right mother for this being. Right. 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 None of that matters. <laughs> Even though your logical no. brain says all of that. No. And it happened immediately like a rush, right? It was from zero to a billion. It went from yeah. zero. Like I'm just waiting to have a really heavy period. That's what they told me. And this is where I go, why? And I have to, I still have to go back weekly. My level's still like, my body still thinks I'm pregnant. My nurse called today. She goes, we have to do blood work every week for the next however many weeks till we know oh you're, gosh. till we know everything's done. On, right. Um, which is very bizarre, but it was a, it was a zero to a hundred spike in something, you know, in, in And grief. how long did it last for the, the overwhelming emotion? Hours. I sobbed all day. By the time DJ got home that evening around five or six to bring me some dinner, um, he found me in uh, sitting on the toilet, fully clothed, shaking and sobbing in the dark. And what had happened is I ha you have to wear a diaper, right, basically, like these massive pads, and you're just bleeding out and like this is super graphic, so I apologize, but like no, it's fine. <laughs> clots of blood fall on the floor. Like you're pulling down your pants and blood flies out of you and you're like, holy shit sack. I'm sitting on a yeah. toilet and I see what maybe is my embryo on the floor. I don't right, know. Right, um, right. Nothing makes sense. And so that's he walked in and found me like that. And then he and felt horrific. And when you horrific. went to the doctor, did the did – did the doctor beforehand, obviously this all happened super fast and you had to get the chemo shots and you, you first of all, you couldn't even wrap your head around the fact that you were told you were pregnant. So right. that almost, it, it's kind of like all the shock came to you at once, right? Like, oh my God, wait, I'm pregnant. I'm losing the baby. The baby can't survive. It's not a real it thing. It literally went like on? this. Like, 4 o'clock PM, you're pregnant. Congratulations. This is so exciting. Clearly you had no idea you were pregnant, but what a beautiful miracle that I get to tell you from my doctor. Cool. Right. 8 a.m. the next morning, you need to rush to the hospital. So I didn't sleep that whole night because I was like, oh, my God. Like, well, okay, the baby will sleep in our room, and then we'll move him to my son's room. And then uh, – because I don't want to get rid of my office and my guest room. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, logically yeah. planning out how do we fit another child into a life we did not plan to have another child in. Right, right. And so when you went to that. the doctor, did the doctor say to you, hey, by the way, 
uh, the roller coaster of emotions that you're about to go on are going to be upside down. No, you're going to feel depression. You're going to feel anxiety. You, you know, and I can only imagine, I know for me, like, um, you know, my hormones are obviously just out of whack in general, you know, um, and being bipolar, it just adds to it. But, but whenever I was on, um, certain birth controls or certain things, the, these suicidal ideations were coming to my head and I never was that person during these times, but it's your mind. It's just, it just is just the weirdest thing in the entire world. It it's so is. Bizarre. And that's the thing that was so mind blowing is that he didn't warn me. And I don't know that they, this is why I'm eager to talk about it. Cause I don't know I, if they can, I don't know that everybody reacts the same way. I don't know if they can prepare you. I mean, I, I feel as though there was a lot more room for them to go, Hey, there's a possibility you may go to a really dark place. There's a possibility right. that your body may mourn. There's, there are things that could Possibility come you might shed a tear. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, you're talking to somebody who literally has to watch sad movies to cry. Like, I have to let it out on, like, some bad rom-com where, you know, it yeah. never works out like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, yeah. because I'm not a naturally emotive crier. That's just not right. the nature of my being. I feel as though I cried for 30 years of my life of, of disappointments or things that I just forgot about. I was wow. mad at myself because one time I had left my dog for an hour after, you know, she had a procedure and I had to run to the store. And when she came back, she looked confused. And I was beating myself up about my kid about leaving my dog. Like, I mean, right, every right, right. your mind does weird things. I was thinking right, of right. every bad. I'm not a bad person, but every bad judgment call that I've ever made, like goes into your brain. You start to question if you're even worthy of being the person you are. It's the yeah. weirdest thing I've ever experienced in my whole but life. But I think what's really, I, I really, thank you so much for sharing this right now because I don't know how many women are out there that have experienced exactly the specifics of what you experienced, yeah. but I can tell you this, women in general have experienced this this rush of emotions out of nowhere from every age right we're dealing with with puberty that's when a lot of the shit goes down you deal with pregnancies you deal with hormone imbalances just in general you deal with menopause p.s you they, deal they with always... hormones trying not to get pregnant because you spend your whole life trying to be this accomplished person and you're like i don't know that i'm ready for a baby so you spend all this yes. time Pur purposefully fluctuating your hormones just to be able to move forward in your life in some yes. independent way. Yeah. And that's the thing is that we as women, um, uh, I mean, we are, we are badass. We I'll are. Say that first, first and foremost. But I think that there is, I don't even know if it's a stigma and it's not a lack of education from doctors, but it's a lack of awareness of this should be one of the first most important things that you know going home. Yes, you're going to bleed out. Yes, you're going to need this. Yes, this, this symptom is going to happen. But first and foremost, it should be like, please do not be alone. You are going to go through things. Some women have a tough time. Some women don't. Well, so here's you know, what's crazy. Since this happened, this you're only talking a week ago, a week and a half ago. Since that, I have literally spoken to girlfriends where they're like, even though as a woman and as a woman who has had a child, I have had friends that are like, oh, we had our baby, then a miscarriage, then a baby, then a miscarriage. And what we all say is, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, which I genuinely have always meant. Yeah. Nowhere 
in the commonalities of those stories, has anyone ever been like, girl, I had a miscarriage and it was fucking rough. Like, yeah. like I don't even think as women to women, we understand. We even ask, well, how are you feeling? Yeah. Like, you know? what have you been going through? How do you feel? How is your mind state? How is your yeah. mental health? You have suffered a loss, whether it's this big or whether it's big. You have suffered a lot. Are you mentally okay? I did not know to ask those questions till I walked it myself. And I right. feel like that's an injustice on women, to women. Yeah, because we and don't I know. think that it's, it's just, it's all a learning curve, right? And it's a learning experience. And I think that that's why it's so important for women to share their stories if they feel that they can emotionally and they're strong enough. I never want to push anyone to share Absolutely. something that they're not ready to say. But I think that just by you being so open about this, this being so fresh and you recognizing, holy shit, I didn't even do this to my friends and ask them and like, how could I have not gone there? Yeah. You know, but I, but, and it's also, it's also there. I feel there needs to be some sort of, and obviously our healthcare system is completely screwed up. <laughs> right. So there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff there, but I truly do believe when it comes to female anatomy of babies or hormones or whatever it may be, there needs to be the OBGYN, right. Who also can put you in, here's a phone call with a psychiatrist or mm -hmm. therapist. If you need it, and if you want it. Yeah. It's needed if you want it. Or, Hey, by the way, not everyone has the same reaction, but you know, they always say to you, right. You take medicine and they're like, even the pharmacist, they're like, okay, this may cause heartburn, migraine, <laughs> diarrhea, vomiting, like blah, 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 blah. No one said to you walking out. So this induced, you know, um, this induced miscarriage is going to cause depression, sadness, anxiety. No, PTSD. I was told, and I love my doctor. I do. He's fantastic. Both of them. I, they're rotating, you know. But it's not people. their fault. It's not their fault. But, uh, you know, I will say, like, I was told by the nurse practitioner and by both doctors, they're like, basically, you're going to have a period. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be probably a heavy period. And, you know, it's going to take you a few days. And, you know, you'll be okay. Like, but there was here's no, the other thing. no, but here's the other thing you wonder about is, is like, maybe they truly don't warn you because no one has ever said that they have this emotional breakdown afterwards. I'm certain that there are women braver than I am that have talked about it. I just don't oh. think it has come to the forefront of normalcy. Like I couldn't help in, in my state of right. being like completely just, you know, wrecked. I, I did. I thought about, like, all the women in the 50s and 60s, the women who were, you know, drinking and doing all these things for pregnancy that they didn't know, and, and maybe that caused – like, I feel like there are so many generations of mental health that have not been addressed on the basic premise mm -hmm. of sharing. Well, I know I have in my family, uh, like, grandparents and on Sturgis's, like, on both sides, you know, not personal – not my grandparents, great-grandparents – and, you know, they always used to say, oh, you know, they they lost their marbles when they had that that miscarriage, you know. And I mean, we found out recently that one of the great grandparents had like six miscarriages. Yeah. Then she finally had a baby. She had a nervous breakdown and she went into a mental hospital. And now they know that she was bipolar. And at the time, they obviously didn't. But but. It, how could she not have had a nervous breakdown? She had trauma. How many times were right. she's. I mean, 
I, that's, that's what is so um, hard for me. And it's another reason why I, I know that on your show, we talked about, you know, if, if I want children and whatnot. Yeah. And I think that another thing, which I didn't answer on this and now I should have on yours, but you can take this clip. Um, <laughs> you know, the other thing that I, I, that I thought about that I was talking to a friend recently who just found out she was pregnant when she said, well, when are you? I said, it's a very different story for me, right? I can't just like go and be like, I'm going to get knocked up and it's going to be the best time ever. I'm on certain medication right. for bipolar disorder. This is not a medication that I can just magically go off right. of. And that day it's perfect. Right. It is a total set learning. You know, you have to detox yourself from this medicine because the medicine that I'm on, I can't be pregnant on. Right. Um, then, you know, you're off your medicine, which is kind of the worst thing that you could do for a bipolar And your hormones person. are already doing other stuff that they Out haven't done before. Yeah. Right. So you have to have multiple doctors that are constantly monitoring you and making sure you're okay. Then testing the baby to make sure that the baby is mentally okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I also have to accept the fact that they say, I mean, ugh, I'm not a doctor. So this I is know what we have great me, medical advice, like, even though we're not doctors. I great know. Medical advice. <laughs> but it's like 90 or 99% that your child or, you know, will have bipolar disorder and, I mean, I believe it because everyone on my dad's side did, but, <laughs> but, you know, um, that's, that's something to live with. You know what right. I mean? That's you, something where in that regard, you know, that's a commitment you are engaging in a very likely possibility that it's like, now I have to care for myself, but I also have to guide and care for someone else. Right. Who and could you have, know, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've spoken to people before and I, I heard recently yesterday, actually last night in a talk, someone was saying, you know, that they had a severe OCD and they go, but we want to change, you know, mental health and not call it a disorder because it's a superpower. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Okay. But at the end of the day, my child is going to have a chemical imbalance mm -hmm. that no matter how positive I look at it and how like it, I'm not, it doesn't define who my child will be. Right. It doesn't define who I am, but it's something but it we have to work with. Life. Yeah. It is a fact of life. It's it's something that that's there. It's a genetic disorder. You right. know what I mean? It is there. Absolutely. And yes, if we can remap the brain and do all of that, please, let's try everything that we can. But it's just wrapping your head around. And I think that a lot of women, uh, the one thing that I will say that I'm lucky about having my diagnosis as long as I have is I am aware of what the steps are going to be. I am aware of what I've been through to see right. what, what can go on. And I'm aware that my hormones are affected so much by my chemical imbalance in my brain that it makes shit crazy, right? <laughs> you know, for lack of a better word. Girl, it makes shit crazy. Yeah, shit cray, but at least I'm aware of this, right? So like my heart goes out to you, someone who hasn't dealt with mental illness at all. Well, and I think and that's has never, the shock. And, that's what's, and it's so scary because right. to me, I would be like, oh, I'm getting my period. I know I'm going to be a disaster for yeah. a day. Like I right. just, I know that there's a certain day where it's not even sadness, but it's a certain day of just such anger and frustration and like, sad thoughts and dark thoughts and, and repetitive, you know, living in fear over and over and over. But when it is such a shock to the system, like it was right. to you, well, and I think it, that's the world is crumbling. I think that's something that is worth pointing out is that for whatever reason, in whatever capacity, in whatever way that it is triggered, mental health is a legitimate issue. The capability of being imbalanced is a legitimate issue for anyone. And the reason I want to bring that up is I am, like I said, very, very confidently and selfishly and unabashedly 
the most level person I know. I am a, right. I mean, you could talk to a hundred people and they're going to be like, you get what you see. You see what you solid. get. You know, she's a solid, solid Capricorn citizen. Like the, yeah. she's not getting knocked over anytime soon. Yeah. But so the shock of it to know that a chemical hormonal imbalance on any level, there is no willing yourself out of it. There is no mind over matter. And I personally didn't even understand that. I have had many friends and loved ones that have battled their own mental health battles to which I have empathy for and sympathy for and support for. It is very different to walk in the shoes and realize that for anyone at any given time, there could be a trigger or a thing or a situation that is going to launch you into a place you didn't know you could go. Yeah. There are depths to our brains that we don't, there are corners we've never seen. And that was the most eye-opening thing for me. I have lost so many people in my life death-wise. So I've gotten to a point where, for lack of a better description, I'm good at death. I understand it. I'm clear on it. I understand the steps. Mm -hmm. I understand the grief. I understand how to deal with the business of death. I understand all of those things. Mm -hmm. So what? I found a corner in my brain that I was not prepared for, that I was not understanding of, that I've had no basis for foundation to know. And that was the most eye-opening thing for me in an in a connected way to friends of mine who do deal with mental health disorders to have an, a, a sliver of enlightenment to the the lack of control. That's the mm-hmm. thing that I don't think people often realize. I think a lot of people do this, you know, toughen up buttercup mentality. Oh, like mm-hmm. you're just right. playing a victim or you just, you know, everybody has a bad day. Wah, wah, you know, um, I think it's worth talking about that when you experience from somebody of my nature, when you experience something like this, it's worth sharing to other people who much like me think it's not that big of a deal, Alessandra. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I get it. You're a little manic or whatever, you know, whatever the phraseology of lack of understanding, just know it can happen to you too. When you least expect it, like have Mm -hmm. a little more grace, have a little more try, have take that extra second. When you find out a girlfriend had a miscarriage, don't just go, Oh, I'm so sorry. Maybe go, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Do Mm -hmm. you need an ear? Do you need me to bring you food? Do you need somebody to hear you right now? Do Do you you need someone just to sit sit here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because like I said, I like to consider myself a fairly thoughtful friend. I would have, for as many times as like, I am so sorry. I didn't, now looking back, I'm like, I didn't handle that right. Mm-hmm. Lesson mm-hmm. learned. Didn't handle that right. Not that but it was improper, but it wasn't lesson. enough. Yeah. And it's always a lesson and it's always something that we learn. And that's why I feel like if you are strong enough and you can share your story, share your story as much mm-hmm. as you possibly can. Because even though it's repetitive, I know I share the story of being diagnosed bipolar and what it's like being bipolar a hundred times a day, you know, and that's, it gets a lot, you know, sometimes I'm like, this is, it's not that it gets a lot for me. I've heard it so many times that it's so repetitive and I'm like, oh my God. Are people sick of hearing this or whatever? Yeah. I'm like, they're so bored, but, but then I realized, oh wait, that one person didn't hear that. And that one person has bipolar one disorder. And that one person didn't know what to do with their life today, Yeah, you know, and they woke up scared and confused. So I think that by you sharing that, you know, 
we didn't even tap into the fact that you are just an incredible creative musician and you are such an artist and look at what this is going to do now to your art. I mean, I just can't wait for your next album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, what's so interesting about that though, is that I don't, I haven't even pref- processed it yet. You know what I mean? Like well, I don't so even fresh. know. Yeah. I don't even know how this will come out musically. I, I have not a doubt in my mind. It will inspire. I mean, I, I did write shockingly enough, a bunch of poetry in that time, which is not my usual songwriting style. I'm not the person that writes poetry and then goes and puts music to it, typically. That's not my typical writing style. So for me, that was a left turn in a creative process in trying to figure out myself. Now, will I take those poems and see if they turn into something? At some point, absolutely, probably, because that's just the way my mind works in a creative structure. But I, I will say that I was shocked at how... I felt like a failure. I've never felt like a failure in my life. I have never, and that sounds like a weird thing to say. I have never, I have failed. I have blatantly not achieved what I have set out to do in my life, but I have never felt like a failure. Somehow in that same darkness, I was like, you know, you question everything. I questioned my age, my ability. Like I wasn't even trying to have a baby, but what if I can't now? What if... What if I'm done? What if my value in in whatever capability of womanhood I would have brought to the table isn't capable? You know, there were all these insecurities that had come up that I had never given the energy to insecurity before. Um, you know what? That was most, fascinating. The most, yeah, and the most wild, the most wild to me is that all of this happened in less than 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that insane? It was like one day here, one day gone. I, and that's how quickly life changes for people. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just as quick as what you shared. You go to an acupuncturist and they go, have you ever considered looking into this? Mm-hmm. And you go, oh my gosh, my whole world's different in one conversation. Yeah. Yep. That's how I felt. I was like one conversation with a doctor changed my whole experience of life in 24 hours. I think it's that you should do a special episode of this on your show. I think I just did. It's on your show. I know. <laughs> I didn't even mean it to, to like drag all this out. I was like, oh my God, Native American culture. Oh my God, traditions. Oh my God, horses. And then it's like, boom, the truth and how we can all just learn from this episode. I am telling you, Candace, so many women are going to learn from this episode and not even just about the specific trauma that you went through, um, but as what it is like being a female on how life can change so quickly just based on our bodies and the miracles that we can do. Um, And everything happens for a reason. I truly believe that. I also believe Um, that. It sounds very juju, but I do yeah. believe it. Yeah. Um, and and I just think this is th- this is a very special, special, special episode. And I am so blessed that you opened up and shared this. Um, I really, I really do appreciate it. I was actually it. excited to share. Honestly, when we talked about for your listeners, you know, I was like, Alessandra, come on my podcast and talk about being a creative in your journey, and this is so great. And when you had said, Would you want to be on my podcast? My initial reaction was I don't know what I would bring to the table, honestly. And I don't mean that I don't have something to offer, but I was just, but coming from a standpoint of like, I've been very fortunate. I'm a pretty even kill person. My highs are not that high. My lows are not that low. You know, I've been kind of that mountain goat just continually climbing and I don't ever really look backwards much, not because I don't find value in the past, but because I'm just always kind of looking forward and water off a duck's back and all of those, you right. know, old cliches. Right. This 
shook my soul. And so what's interesting is from the time that you and I had discussed about doing podcasts to today, there was a part of me that was like, I'm excited. It's the wrong word, but I'm excited to share it because it's been life-changing. And right. I feel like it's probably liberating for someone to hear that, one, it's not that uncommon. Two, you are not crazy. Three, you have no control, so just ride it out. Four, mm. call people. <laughs> Five, love yourself. You're not a failure. Six, let it take as long as it needs to take. It's okay. There's no time limit on healing. And no. I think that people need to know this, that people think that you, you know, have a trauma, you wake up the next day and you go, okay, it's going to be fine. You know, we talked about like holding grudges and stuff on your show. And I was <laughs> like, I hold grudges forever. But, you know, I think just from experiencing pain and trauma and, you know, bipolar and PTSD and all this bullshit, I think that I've learned that I can snap out of it quickly because it happens a lot. And if I dwell in it, you know, and that's why I think, you know, there is no time for healing because sometimes it could be, you know, in one day, sometimes it could take years and years and years and years and it's okay. Either one works. Yeah. Give yourself you know, there a little is grace. No right. Yeah. yeah. There's no right and no wrong. Um, well, Candace, I'm going to ask you the final question. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Lay it on me. <laughs> what is your emotional support? Um, nature honestly if i'm if i'm if i'm stripping it down to a very simplistic answer um being in things being immersing myself in something bigger than myself so for me riding my horse is that it's something that i can share a bond with but i don't control being on a hike in nature where it's an environment i can appreciate and be a part of but i don't control it i think anytime you put yourself in a place to reflect spiritually for for that support put yourself in a place where you're also humbled if mm -hmm. that makes sense i i it's kind of a weird backhanded way of looking at it but every time i remember that there's something bigger than me it helps me create perspective in my mo emotional well-being mm -hmm. so yeah i get outside i find ways to connect to things that aren't about me i find ways to connect to things that have nothing to do with technology, that have nothing to do with other people's opinions. It's the, it's the lay of the land, the nature of the design. It's being connected to whatever spirit being that allows you to feel emotion in the first place. I love that answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, but that's it. You know, I, I, I don't find emotional support in, in a singular it's just getting yeah. where you're small and it perspective can can reign and where you can have clarity because there's no distraction. I completely agree with perspective is everything. Yeah. We have to realize it's not just us. We have to put the ego aside and realize we are just a little speck in this big world, but a little speck can make a lot of a difference. And Absolutely. I think that that's really important. And Candace, I love you and I can't you thank you so much for doing this. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. Thanks for letting me share. Emotion, Al, support.